Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On episode 39, in the red corner, boys will be boys. And when you leave these guys alone on a remote research station in Antarctica, anything could happen. And it does as an extraterrestrial entity with a penchant for disguising itself as other living creatures runs amok. Kurt Russell kicks ass, drinks whiskey, flies helicopters, drinks whiskey, and drinks whiskey. From 1982, it's John Carpenter's brilliant The Thing. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live inside where no one can see it or hear it or feel it i know i'm human some of you are still human this thing doesn't want to show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it and then it's one you guys gotta listen to gary we can beat one of those things while in the blue corner, all the best westerns have numbers in their title. The Magnificent Seven, Three Ten to Yuma, The Three Amigos, and Tremors 4, The Legend Begins. And now Quentin Tarantino puts together some big names and the number eight, dumps them in a blizzard, and gives them three hours to sort out their differences. Spoiler, they don't. From 2016, it's The Hateful Eight. They call him... The hangman. When the handbill says dead or alive, the rest of us just shoot you in the back and up on top of perch somewhere and bring you in dead over a saddle. But when John Roof, the hangman, catches you, you hang. Get in, boys! Show what connects these two movies and which one does it better. Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. 
Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Now, uh, just before we get into another fantastic clash as the Thing versus the Hateful Eight, we've got a little change to the format of this show to announce. So, from here on in, we are going to be breaking up each face-off into two separate episodes. So, for example, this week with The Thing and The Hateful Eight, this episode's going to cover The Thing, and then the next episode, which will be arriving on Monday, will tackle The Hateful Eight. So, what does that mean? Not a lot, really. You'll get two slightly shorter Clash Pods a week instead of a two-hour behemoth. And we'll just have to wait until each Monday to find out which movie wins. That is the plan. I hope you like it. If you don't, well, uh, you can get in touch with us, of course, and go, this isn't what I like. Uh, you do that on Twitter at ClashPod, or you can email us, show at ClashPod.com. Com. Uh, genuinely would love to hear your thoughts on the revamp, but until then, hey, it's still the same old Clash Pod. Right then, back to today's episode and the thing. Guys, what are your guesses as to the connections of this movie? Chris, you picked them, so I guess I should go first. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guess because I know. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely right. That's a, that's not a format change to the show. It's just me being an idiot. Uh, yeah, well, I, I picked the films because obviously we're in the midst of coronavirus lockdown and there are some some parallels with what we might be experiencing in our own lives at the moment. But yeah, what did you see as the connection between these two films, Vicky or Alex? I will jump in. I, I do think it's a, very, it's a lot like my life at the moment because the dog, my dog, which I, I don't know if I've mentioned I've got a dog. Uh, it's um, It started looking at me a bit funny, like spooky, like the husky does in this. So I'm, I, I don't know just how close the parallels are, but I, I've been locked in my office for the last uh, six days, getting food uh, delivered through the window on the outside so the dog can't get to me because it's just got a funny look in its eyes. Do you think Simon's getting hungry? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you've got yeah. to feed him. You've got some responsibility <laughs> as his daddy. <laughs> I can hear him in the kitchen cooking, so he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Putting the telly on, cracking up at yeah. a Chardonnay. Happy day. He's, he's having a great time. Think about me locked in here. <laughs> Eating dog food. <laughs> yeah. uh, Vicky, any, any guesses? Uh, I'm cold and bored. Who wants to play chess? Chess is a good one. Chess is one I was not expecting until until this rewatch. I hadn't clocked that one before. Yeah. Okay. Um, Movies that involve you needing a rope to get from one building to another. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thanks. Um, Um, Kurt Russell must be fucking freezing. Oh, I've got a Kurt Russell one. Kurt Russell being more hair than man. It was good, though, because I have let my beard grow since this has all begun. Um, I was sort of getting grooming tips from him. It's uh, it's it's sort of a well-kept beard in the thing, and then it's sort of a little bit out of control in Hateful Eight, which I like, which is sort of where the direction mine's going in at the moment. Um, if you want to put a photo on um, our at ClashPod Twitter, I think you should. I, I've seen it. I'm a big fan. I love, I love the beard. I think you should keep it. I don't want this to be a fad for lockdown. I think keep it. Oh, it's depressing how much grey is appearing in it now, though. It's it's very salt and pepper now. 
Have you had any other good feedback on it, or is it just me? Um, no, just you. Pretty much, it's just you, Alex. Oh, I should have liked it. Yeah, you did actually. You did, Vicky. Uh, I don't think yeah. the missus has said much. No, the missus thinks it's all right. Anyway, we're not talking about my beard. Um, any other guesses, or shall I? Shall I give it? Is it away? people not being what they say they are? Yeah, well, I mean, there is isolation, there's paranoia, there's trust, there's chess, as Vicky said, there's poisoned blood, there's an unseen foe, there's the music of Ennio Morricone. But um, I'm going with, if it's snowing and you see Kurt Russell, run! <laughs> Unless he's dressed as Santa, because that's a, that's a different film that's quite nice. so uh those are the links and alex you had the thing so you're going first yes i am i will start us off with the thing and here is my introduction to the thing it's 1982 the movie hit cinemas It's an alien sci-fi film, the kind of which we've never seen before. People go to see it. Word of mouth spreads. More people go to see it. It becomes a phenomenon, being the director's highest grossing film adjusted for inflation in the history of his career. Who would have thought a film about an alien could be such a global success? And that film was E.T., The stupid turd alien is one of the reasons no one went to see this masterpiece of sci-fi horror they call The Thing. Oh, that's that's my intro. That's a sad intro. Um, It is. (laughs) Genuinely, in in researching what happened with the release of this movie, which I kind of knew but didn't really know, I got upset. I shed a tear for John Carpenter. U.S. number 31 calling McMurdo. Urgent. Come in. Over. Who is he? He's Norwegian. Seems like they were spending a lot of their time in a little place northeast of their camp, about five or six miles. How many in their party? We started with ten. There'd be eight others left. We ought to just burn these things. Can't burn the find of the century. That's going to win somebody the Nobel Prize. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. Right now, that may be one or two of us. By spring, it could be all of us. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. I've got the Arrow uh, Blu-ray of this release, which has got a couple of feature-length documentaries on it, which are both excellent. And on that, they talk about the fact that they had their trailer before E.T., which was the largest cinema audience in history, which meant that they were rejected by the largest cinema audience in history. (laughs) (laughs) That's how someone puts it. That's awful. (laughs) But true, I think think it just put people in in a very different mood. They... they, um, they wanted the friendly alien, and this was not the friendly alien movie. Yeah, I mean, we should talk first of all about like just what um, a shock it was to a lot of people that this this movie didn't do well. I mean, not so much a shock because apparently Universal had approached John Carpenter before the release and showed him some tracking uh, that said seventy percent less people are going to see sci-fi horror than they previously were, uh, and perhaps we should all start lowering 
uh, expectations. They focus grouped it, and people really didn't like the nihilistic ending and the sort of nihilistic tone throughout. And John Carpenter was at one focus group, and he spoke to an audience member who came up to him at the end and went, well, what happened at the very end? Which one of them was the thing? And Carpenter responded saying, well, it's up to your imagination. And they said, oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> which I love. I love the fact that someone went, no, no, not, no, I need to know uh, which one is the actual thing. But, yeah, it's quite, when you start reading what John Carpenter said um, about it, it's quite, it's quite sad, actually. He sort of talks about how he was called a pornographer of violence after this and how he takes every failure very hard, but the one he took hardest was The Thing. He says, my career would have been very different if it had been a big hit. The movie was hated even by science fiction fans. They thought that I'd betrayed some kind of trust. Even the original film's director, Christian Nyby, was dissing me. That's the um, the thing from another world director from the 1951 version who actually said, if you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse. All in all, it's a terrific commercial for J&B Scotch. <laughs> you can't just go to a slaughterhouse, can you? <laughs> let yourself in. Oh, hi, sorry, I've got tickets for this evening. No, it doesn't work like that. It's interesting what you say about people weren't seeing sci-fi because the reason it got greenlit was because of the success of Alien. And then because of the mm. success of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was another remake that made a lot of money, um, that's quite similar to this one, really. And I think mm. that summer they were hoping for big things because you'd had Mad Max 2, Star Trek 2, Rocky 3, Conan, Poltergeist, E.T. It was it had been it was maybe the greatest summer we ever had in terms of quality blockbusters. Um, but I think it was wasn't it the fact that the people were just like no more sci-fi. I think by the time The Thing came out, and I think The Thing came out on the same day in the US as Blade Runner, people were just like, oh, no more, I'm done. It did, and it, I think that's interesting because obviously Blade Runner and The Thing were both flops uh, at the time. And they're both, there's a similarity between the both. That They're both quite downbeat and they're both about who is human and who isn't, sort of asking that question is the heart of both movies. Um, and they both found life sort of, long after their release, but maybe they're not summer films as well. That, that was middle of June that they were released. And maybe if they would come out in winter or I don't know, they, they're not feel good blockbusters, are they? Either of them. No, Kurt Russell thinks it's um, the fact that people didn't like the gore in it, the dissection scene specifically. He says that he didn't think people were very um, pleased that they showed the dissection and the removing of intestines from these special effects bodies. And he goes on. I think I might have watched the same documentary as too. The uh, the thing, what's it called? The Shaping of Terror? Is that the one, Chris? Maybe. I didn't get the names yet. Maybe. Yeah. Well, he says, he says people, you know, if they hunt, they see all that anyway. People are still happy to go to the supermarket and buy their meat. They just don't want to see what happens to the animal. It's a little bit of a Kurt Russell rant. Who's hunting? I don't understand. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> have you, um, have either of you read the original short story or the original, seen the original film? No. I have read enough of the short story in preparation for this, and I watched the trailer for The Thing from Another World, but no, I couldn't bring myself to watch Howard Hawks' entire version, although apparently it's very good. Yeah. 
And so what did you... I mean, this is obviously quite different to the original film, isn't it, what Carpenter did? Yeah, this is much closer to uh, the novel. Um, um, and having sort of read extracts from the novel and especially the changes between this film and the novel, it's quite interesting. Because it was Burt Lancaster. This is what I didn't know. Burt Lancaster's son wrote this, Bill Lancaster. That was a bit of a surprise to me. I hadn't known that before. Yeah, he just did. He just wrote this film and the Bad News Bears, the uh, baseball yeah. movie, which is such a strange <laughs> writing career for him. <laughs> I know. You almost want to go. Oh well, he, he's got a niche. No, he doesn't. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, um, a lot reading. It's it's really interesting. So he said he didn't like the short. He didn't think the short story was very good. Didn't Burt Lancaster's son, Bill Lancaster? He said he read it. He didn't think it was that good, but he understood. He understood why it was popular. But he said what appealed to him was this idea of paranoia and claustrophobia and people not knowing who the other person is, which is what he tried to bring to the film. So I think the film is kind of two things. On the one hand, it is that who's who, like who can you trust? And then on the other hand, it's just some utterly genius creature effects. Yeah, because the the Howard Hawks film, um, they turned it into a vegetable man sucking blood out of people. (laughs) So it was a very yeah. different right. uh, direction to take. And in that film, the, the scientists were suspicious and it was the, the army and the military that were heroes. So they were sort of making a film about Cold War paranoia, whereas I think this is, a, is more general, isn't it? What The direction that, that Bill Lancaster and John Carpenter go in. Yeah, and John Carpenter said the one thing, the only thing almost that he was concerned about or really concerned about with his movie was he did not want it to be a man in a suit. He says even Alien, which he he obviously goes as a masterpiece, but even Alien at the end, which is what we talked about on this show when we covered Alien, even Alien at the end does look like a man in a suit and that's (laughs) the one thing he wanted to avoid. And uh, to do that, he brought in Rob Bottin and Stan Winston. But Rob Bottin is the main guy who oversaw the effects on the film. So a lot of the credit for uh, people's adoration of this film has got to go to him as well as uh, Bill and John. Yeah, it's brilliant, though. It's I mean, those effects are, uh, wow, just hideous in the most wonderful way possible. I think actually someone someone on one of the documentaries des- describes them as beautiful. I mean, disgusting, but beautiful, which is kind of how I feel. If you're going to do gore, you do it like it's like the art in this film. I loved it. Yeah, it's the art, the imagination, uh, the craft, and it's covered up with stuff you haven't seen before as well, which I think is important in in sci-fi horror as well. If you're gonna if you're gonna put gore uh, and monsters on screen. You want to see something unique and something that you know hasn't been done to death. Yeah. So, do you want to know any of the main differences between the book uh, that this was based on and this film? Go for it. The main one is there's not 37 people in the base, which in the book there's 37 people. So they cut that down to 12. I think a smart move. Vicky, as a writer. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you need to collapse your characters. Uh, can I ask a question? Of the 37, were any of them uh, women? Ooh, good question. I don't know in the book, but in the Howard Hawks version, there are uh, two women. Really? Although there is a woman in this. 
Is there? <laughs> yeah. 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 John Carpenter's John Carpenter's wife is in it. She was the, she uh, the woman who was in the fog. She? she has a nasty death. Horrible. And one of the worst deaths <laughs> in it. Vicky, have you watched this movie? Did you yeah. not watch it again? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop teasing. You remember? <laughs> no, Adrian Barbeau, she uh, she dies in it. Kurt Russell kills her. In the worst bit in the film, I think. One of the worst bits yeah. in the film. The, the goriest death. <laughs> like, she, she, I guess you could say she drowns? She yeah. drowns in it. She drowns. What? In alcohol. She drowns in whiskey. He drowns her oh, in for whiskey. God's sake. Oh, you're ridiculous. Are you pleased with yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to explain your working, Alex, for the listeners? <laughs> so he is um uh, join in when you know Vicky. He is playing, <laughs> he's playing chess with a computer which has a female voice, which is voiced by John Carpenter's wife. And and he loses and pours whiskey on the circuit board, thus killing her. It's That's horrific. It's really, oh, it's awful. You're absolutely right. <laughs> How could I possibly have forgotten? It's ridiculous, um, though, isn't it? I think that's a bizarre it's absolutely ridiculous. reaction yeah. that makes you, I don't know, it weirds me out about his character. And on the there's a there's a terrific commentary that Carpenter and Russell do together. Whenever they do a commentary, it's worth listening to because they have a right laugh. But they, they were kind of suggesting that he you know he's got anger management issues. He he was a Vietnam he's a Vietnam um, veteran and that he might have PTSD and all this. They're probably an alcoholic because he's drinking as well. But I don't know. I just it just completely switched me off that character, and I don't think they did enough to suggest those other things if they were important to his character. That it's just it's yeah. just a weird. Yeah, it starts off on a point that it then doesn't pick back up because you're meant to think, I think you're supposed to think he's unhinged and like he can't control his temper. Um, but that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really come back up. But that's a problem, I, I guess. I don't feel it because I will go out of my way to defend this film, but I do appreciate when people talk about the lack of characterization for a lot of the people trapped on the base. They are just people waiting to die some yeah. of them especially um, yeah, as, as you and said, it's a shame you said they've they collapsed the 37 into 11 i think they could have gone even further maybe um or you needed to have more character development earlier on or uh define who these guys are um and what makes them different because it does get a little bit confusing who is who yeah. who does what yeah. what who's got what name um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was even getting confused, and I had a pen and paper, and I was taking notes. Mm. But um, and, and, and like, who's his like who's his what job? Like, why are they even there? And what are they supposed to be? Apart from the person that does the cooking, there's a there's a Matt Windows is the, the guy on the radio. He seems to fucking hate his job and be rubbish at it. So there isn't anyone else. And I know that Kurt Russell's the pilot, and then you've got a doctor. But beyond their sort of titular whatever, they don't have any character, and it's a shame. It's weird, isn't it? Because there's Doctor, Doctor Copper or Cooper, I can't remember, Doctor Cooper, um, and then there's also Blair, mm. who, and both of them at various times dissect bodies, but Blair is a pathologist, so this base has a pathologist and a physician. So you're like, okay, right, they do the same job. No, nope, they and, don't, of course they and, don't. And oh. on that commentary, Carpenter does say that he might have messed up a little bit in terms of differentiating between the characters, because I think that's a criticism that came up again and again. Um, and it's obviously very similar to Alien, which we've done recently in terms of that kind of truckers in space kind of, you know, 
um, look to the blue collar workers exactly. Yeah. On a, and and yeah, yeah, I think yeah. there's sort of less in Alien, and we we learn a bit more about them before the carnage begins. So yeah, and, and as you say, there's women. You know that already. <laughs> you, know, you know, splits it down the middle. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm still like I'm not even sure whose names to be using here, whether the actors or the characters' names. Let's use the characters. I mean, John Carpenter did say he wanted it. It was intentional to make it all men. Of course it was. But he wanted to remove this idea of them, the idea of men, like, posturing in uh, front of uh, women. Like, there was no one to sort of, I guess, you know, impress in the way a man tries to impress a woman or, like, behave in that way. And that's why it was just men reacting with men. That was Mm -hmm. some... He's kind of vague about it, but that was his thinking. Yeah, it's sure. It's just um, you could show the, the the disintegration of that artifice, and that's possibly more interesting than just saying, "Oh fuck it, there's no such thing as a female scientist, so there aren't any." Which is the direction they go in with the uh, sequel? That's a prequel. That's a remake. Uh, yeah, which is called the bloody thing as well. Not the bloody thing, but it's called the thing, which is confusing in itself. <laughs> the um, Michael Caine version. <laughs> which I did, I did actually. I did actually watch that this week. Um, to, as, a, as a bit of extra research and yeah they go down the alien route where the 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 woman character played by mary mary elizabeth winstead definitely becomes a ripley like character as the film goes yeah. on yeah it's not a bad honestly i don't think it's a bad remake to no. be perfectly honest it goes um it goes off paste at the end when it was a bit too much cgi but until then i was um i thought it was all right and it's weird watching the start of this especially when they visit the Norwegian base and seeing how faithfully they recreated that for their prequel remake, which is kind of cool. I think that's cool. It adds a whole other level to rewatching this. Yeah, yeah. Over the end credits, you've got the opening scene of this film, which is it's kind of fun if you watched it as one continuous film, but it's also pointless because it doesn't add anything uh, to the mythos, really. Let's, um, let's go through the film then uh, with a fair old pace, uh, I think, because there's some really significant moments and then there's a lot of men talking in rooms, um, <laughs> which uh, John Gumdra actually cut out a lot of men talking in rooms. Uh, he said that he had too much of it at the start. I, I mean, we're going to be doing The Hateful Eight next. I think he was wrong. I think the men talking in rooms is actually one of the strongest bits in this movie. I think it's really great when they're all together and you get a little more flavour of their characters and the relationships they have. But, hey, it's his movie. Vicky, you t- you normally sit with me and Alex in a, in a studio for a couple of hours a week. Do you like men talking in rooms? <laughs> I feel like I've had enough of it, actually. <laughs> no, I love it. Love it. I've, there's nothing I'd rather be doing with my time. <laughs> um, I hate this distance that we've got. I hate the fact that I'm just checking my phone now. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not really. I'm, I'm all in. I'm 100% here. Go. Yeah, uh, you are. I can tell you are ready to go. Right, let's start then. Uh, first of all, I've forgotten the bit when the spaceship uh, flies through space at the start to Earth, that predator <laughs> moment. Totally forgotten that. I mean, I knew there was an alien under the ice. I forgot that we actually saw it uh, heading uh, to planet Earth. Um, don't know whether... Uh, have you seen this before, this watch, Vicky, actually? No, I should confess. I, it's one of those films that I thought I'd seen and I haven't. So I've come to this with fresh eyes and I've Ooh. got some problems to talk about. <laughs> 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 there aren't anything to do with, with men, actually. So you'll be, you can breathe a sigh of relief. That makes there. a change, eh? Um, hey, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take a day off. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I'm just op- opening the uh, Prosecco I've been saving. So uh, <laughs> it's a big day on the podcast. <laughs> we are off the hook, man. <laughs> yeah. Everyone relax. Um, yeah, but we can get to that. It's it's not, I I thought it was a, it's an amazing film, obviously. And it it's very, very gripping. And then it just falls apart for me. But we'll get to it. Well, a big question here, Alex, a big question here is why do we have this scene with the spaceship? Does that not remove any suspense or tension or question of what they're going to look for and what is actually going on? Um, Because soon enough, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes in, they find it and they figure out it's an alien. But Mm. I think showing us this, this, I feel pointless um, shot of a spaceship crash landing, it, it, it removes that, which I just, I don't understand why it's there. Do you know why I think it's there? I think it's there to sort of give this creature that they discover. I I think it works. It gives you the idea that this thing, like, has a spaceship that flies through space and visually seeing that, this idea that this thing has travelled millions of light years through space and who knows what it's been and where it's uh, what it's seen where it's been but we still find the spaceship we still find the spaceship so um mm, yeah i know but i do you not think there's something about seeing it in motion and sort of seeing this craft flying and it gives the creature an intelligence as well like because it flies i think it puts me a, a step ahead of the characters and i think it would have been more interesting to be as confused as they are about uh, what's happening when they reach that Norwegian um, outpost and and that we yeah. should learn at the same time as they do rather than going, oh, no, that's definitely an alien because I've seen a spaceship. Vicky? I agree with Chris, always. I hate it okay. when I know something that the characters don't and I especially hate it if it takes them an hour and 20 minutes to find it out. It just, yeah, it's not economical. I don't like it. I wonder whether it was something that they sort of brought in because it was like, it, it makes it more sci-fi unless just trapped on earth yeah that that to me it looks like tacked on like it wasn't there to start with because why would you not want to open in the freezing wastelands of antarctica like that sets your sea why would you not want to open there yeah but you're opening in outer space it looked like a last minute oh fuck it we'll stick this on and then that'll really ground it for people and yeah i'm not sure it was because i know that they spent months um oh yeah um, putting that effect together um, yeah. So I think it was there from the beginning. I'm just surprised that no one thought to say, actually, if we remove this, not only does it not change the film, it actually improves it in terms of yeah. um, adding a, an element of mystery to, to what is yeah. unfolding. But you're not left to dwell on it for that long because those amazing titles come up with that amazing sound effect and that suddenly like you're like oh what am i watching you know that when the thing the writing appears and you hear that i love that <laughs> which uh, the way that thing appears was it, it was directly taken from the um original movie as well that's one of yeah. the things they sort of almost copied and pasted which is a nice touch yeah it is but the sound design on that moment and the sound that the thing makes to this film is something that um oh Gives me chills. It gives me chills. So then we get to that brilliant bit uh, where the dog is being chased by the Norwegians in the helicopter, and it's confusing. It's really confusing. So as someone who's oh. watching this for the first time, <laughs> these are the thoughts that went through my head. Why can't he shoot that dog? What a shit shot he is that he can't shoot that dog. Why does he want to shoot the dog? Is it a dog or is it a wolf that's trying to eat people? 
Um, and that's why he wants to shoot it. Or is it his friend and they've got a weird greeting system, which is, I'll shoot from the helicopter, dog, to tell you I've come home. That's what I thought. <laughs> Vicky, um, have you ever shot a small moving uh, object from a, a moving helicopter? Chris, recently. You know, yeah, re- you know I have. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it's not easy, though, is it? You can, You know it's not that easy. No, I am. Ve- I'm very good, obviously, and I've had a shitload of practice. Um, I suppose it's unfair of me. I once, um, I once was uh, a, a very uh, a, a, a country, a country mansion with some country folk, and I was invited to go clay pigeon shooting, and I'd never shot a clay pigeon or a gun before, to be perfectly honest. And I think they were ready to laugh at me because I they made they gave me these big wellies to wear and I was wearing my skinny jeans and the wellies were too big and then I had this long jacket on and <laughs> I, I looked like a golf club. I looked like a golf club. And then they gave me the gun and I got them all on the first go and they were like, you've done this before. You must have done this before. I was like, no, I haven't. PlayStation, mate. <laughs> so... Okay, yeah. you do know you were supposed to be shooting the clay thing, <laughs> not, <laughs> not the birds in the trees. <laughs> is this what's going to happen when we finally have our race, Alex? Are you going to be brilliant and I'm going to be like, you've done, you've raced professionally before, haven't you? What I'm trying to do, Chris, is drop <laughs> subtle hints that make you think twice about racing me without me having to say, I don't want to embarrass How you. How is your so, training going, you know? by the way? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing, I've got my leg weights on again as we do record this. You know, Vicky's on her phone. I don't know. You're probably sitting, sitting naked. I've got my leg weights on. Excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is, once you know what the dog is, um, like, and it's you're rewatching this, that first bit with the helicopter, it's still great because it's really frustrating. You watch it a second time knowing that's the thing and go, man, if they'd only managed to shoot it and not been so rubbish, if he'd played more PlayStation, then mm. we would like have, like, they'd have saved the day. It is good though where he does eventually arrive on the base and it, it's a language barrier. Like he's unable, like he could say, cause I was like, Oh, this is going to be really annoying. If he doesn't tell them that the dog is infected, he could just say it's infected with the virus and people would be like, Oh my God. And back off. But it's the language barrier that prevents him from doing that, which is a great thing. And it's a great moment right up until Gary breaks a bloody window to shoot at him. You're like, you live in Antarctica. <laughs> Don't break a window. Let's, there's no 24-hour glazier who's going to be able to come around and patch that up for you. It will be cold in there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a that's that's your great opening though, isn't it? That's your great cold open with with yeah. with oh. the, 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 oh. the business with the Norwegians. Yeah. And... He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know yeah. what he's done. <laughs> I always know. <laughs> so then, um, then we get Kurt Russell goes. I don't want to fly. There's a blizzard. I don't want to fly. Oh, fine, I'll fly. And they go off to the Norwegian base. And that's I think that's a great moment as well when they go and investigate the Norwegian base. What did you think of that when they're creeping around? I know John Carpenter removed a shot where a body falls from above, which was written into the script because he said he was done with sort of Halloween jump scares and things like that. So he didn't want that kind of scare in this movie. He said it was uh, overdone, bodies falling into shot. Mm. But I think it's a really good moment. The frozen mm. suicide blood. Yeah, that's a brilliant, but it's so tense. It's really unsettling. And it's only a simple effect, but it's just so unnerving because it looks really realistic. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I, the, the only thing I question here is they seem very uh, unmoved and unexcited about the fact that they find 
uh, what's essentially alien life. In terms of what? They don't know at that point, do they? I mean, just throughout the whole film, this is this is when it starts. Yeah. No one at any point goes, fucking hell, this is amazing. We found alien life. <laughs> no, this is the biggest find in the history of man. And no one tries to leave. No one tries to run away. Like, as in, just run. Like, a, they've gone mad and they'll run away. They're like, oh, and then everyone's like, burn the bodies. No, you can't do that. No, you really should. You really, really should. Like... And there's some hesitancy over burning them. It's like I would, I would still be burning them from 1982 to now because it's so awful. People are like, oh, but you can't. Um, it's the Nobel Prize for aliens or whatever, and that doesn't work. Yeah, there's that bit where they find the two mutant-faced body, McCready and the Doc, and they bring it back and they put it on the table back at their base under the tarpaulin. And they say, hey, we found something and pull back the tarpaulin. And like, it's a it's like a a face like torn in two with like the flesh still attached. And first of all, if you're going to put something on a table that you know that is inside, you need to give more warning. You shouldn't say, hey, we found something and whip it back. Because I'd be thinking, oh, some beer. Like they had some food there. Like at the Norwegian base that we don't have. I don't know, some some herring maybe. Whatever. Like you give someone warning. And then when someone rips back a top of it and there's that underneath, people don't go, oh, okay, interesting. No, they don't. They go, the fuck? The fuck is that? And they touch it with their hand. Like someone does a autopsy on it but puts their hands in it like with their skin that doesn't make any sense you'd be like i'm not i'm they're not touching that or i need a hazmat suit please in one yeah. of the um one of the the good scenes in that thing prequel they kind of bring that meld two faces melded together uh, to life basically and one when the the creature is 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 stalking them it's it's a two-faced um version of this sort of come to life which is actually really impressive it's some slightly dodgy cg but it's it's horrific watching that for real let alone um watching it just as a as a model here mm. and then it sort of becomes um in john Carpenter's words it becomes uh he called it like an agatha christie whodunit um you know like agatha christie stories all the good ones you know people trapped in an location they can't escape with a murderer on the loose well it's very specifically and then there were none uh which is a, a, hmm. a story, the Agatha Christie story, that's had to change name twice for being uh, racist. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, in 1939 when it was published, some places it was published as 10 Little Indians and some places right. it was published as 10 Little N-Words, um, oh, which was around for a long time. And so uh, they are both, <laughs> you can't get hold of those versions now and it's called And Then There Were None. But um, yeah, that was... Um, that was the he said the, the 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 central concept of that is what fascinated him and combining it with uh the the sci-fi story was was what he was going for yeah and i think that's brilliant if the sunday night nine o'clock bbc agatha christie adaptation i am extremely happy um but the reason i didn't i don't think it works as well as Agatha Christie is because in the first half hour so much happens with the gore like when the dog turns itself inside out and that's all really brilliant but then we're in a sort of let's wait to see what happens and who could the thing be but because so much has happened with the thing reversing animals in the first half hour I would be like well if we just wait five minutes it's going to flip out and do something because that's what it does like that's that's its sort of 
MO so far, it doesn't hang around very long. It turns things inside out. So we'll just give it 10 minutes and see what happens. It, it seemed improbable to me that the thing would be hiding for that amount of time because my expectations are it won't hide for that long because it hasn't hidden for that long. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't think... I think the reason we've seen it is because it was interrupted mid-transformation. I think once it's actually transformed into something it kind of likes to just hide out in there i know what you mean because we only see it because it's transforming the other huskies but it does think it's on its own at that point it's it's mo as you say isn't to reveal itself it wants to do everything you know very cloak and dagger behind closed doors and it just gets caught out when it's the husky so the idea of just waiting for it to go, oh, look at my tentacles. I've got some <laughs> tentacles. Look at them. Is It's not going to just do that if it knows it's being watched. Okay. that's if, Yeah, I missed that then because I, I just was distracted by everything else that was going on. What, men talking in rooms? That's not like you. Um, <laughs> I... I uh, I think at this point it's worth pointing out a, a couple of the characters that do rise above the rest because there are there mm. are a couple. There's two, yeah. Um, Clark, I think, is great. The guy who looks after the huskies. Um, oh gosh, I wish I'd remembered the actor's name. He, he turned down a role in ET to take on the role of Clark. Oh, and- someone's <laughs> firing their agent. <laughs> Mistake. And he. Um- he uh, he he actually uh, lobbied to get the role of Clark because he liked the idea of this guy who prefers um, dogs to people, and I think he's he's quite a standout. Richard Mastor is the actor's name. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. he's been in loads of stuff. He's yeah. had a long career since yeah. then. Um, and he went out and bought himself that knife uh, that you see him. You know the well, I can't remember what they're called. The knives that come out of the little sheaths, not flick knives, but one of those, uh, a hunting knife. Uh, in preparation for the role to wave around at Childs when Childs is in his face. What they did that wasn't a prop. He he actually bought a knife with him. Yeah, he bought that. Yeah, he bought a knife with him. Yeah, that doesn't sound oh. that professional. <laughs> but I think the thing was, I think the thing was genuinely they say that they had so much prep time for this, just the actors sitting around that they did a lot of the work themselves in developing these relationships and who hated who and all their backstories, they got pretty actuary about it. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get that on screen, which is what we could have... <laughs> which, which is great, but, we, you know, we need to see that and know that. Um, yeah, It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing to say a movie, like, should actually be longer. I'd be happy with this being longer if it gave us more of the characters. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And it's not even, a, it's not even that short a film. It's about an hour and 50, isn't it? But um, yeah. But yeah, just bit before the carnage hits, I think we could spend some time in the lives of these people, understanding their world and their work, and and I think it would then really pay off when the the deaths do start mounting up. Yeah. The only, just to play devil's advocate, the only, the only flip side to that argument is there is something quite nice about how cold this film is in terms of characterization and how cold the setting is and how cold the ending is and this idea that it is quite a detached movie Mm. being intentional and you watch it without all those trappings of like oh they're not gonna die are they oh i really like them oh he's the funny one like without all of that it becomes quite a clinical thing like the thing itself 
Sure. No, I agree. I, I can see that. But I think Alien does it. Does it Does it not? I don't think Alien ever gets sort of sentimental or we don't mm, care yeah. about those characters too much. Um, but we know who they are. Apart from Clark, who else do you think stands out at this point? Uh, I, I'm I'm a fan of Blair. I could have spent more time with uh, Wilfred Brimley as Blair. Is he the one that makes a flying saucer, or have I misremembered? <laughs> That's him. Yeah, he's the yeah. guy who smashes up all the radio, and then they lock him in the shed outside. Oh, is he the one where he's like, "I'm fine. You can let me out," but the shot is framed by a noose. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, "You seem to be doing brilliantly." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the noose thing is weird. My problem with Blair is it's never clear, which is intentional, but I think it's confusing. It's never clear when he gets infected because it happens off screen because clearly he realises early on when he's on his computer doing the statistics thing and it goes 27,000 hours from the infected oh, organism the, um, reaching the exposition land. computer. Fuck that. That was <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. the, oh, the one working computer after McCready pours whiskey <laughs> in the other one, which is totally normal. It's it's a very very basic computer, but it does feature animation of alien and cell assimilation. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, it was so rubbish, and it knows the answer to absolutely anything, and it can project with AI beyond anything anyone's ever seen. But still, <laughs> but he's sort of early on. You're like, oh my god, he's worked it out, and he smashes up the radio, and sure, he's drunk a bottle of vodka and got a gun, so you know he's kind of in an extreme frame of mind when they lock him up but he was the one who realized what it was going to do and then they lock him away and at some point off screen one of the people who is the thing must go out there and infect him so here's a, here's a question like um i get frustrated that he doesn't tell anyone what he's read on the computer i i feel oh, like yeah i feel yeah. like in any universe he would he would tell the other people what is going on and he isn't yeah. doing it here to prolong the story uh, but also, could he not have been infected at that point when he's smashing up the equipment? Because, you know, it's now they can't do anything um, in their outpost because he's, he's broken everything. But then that, that would suggest that there's multiple things. And that's another question I've got. Yeah, it's a failure of the film that you don't know how people are infected either. Do you get If you get infected by a blood splatter, they'd all be infected. If it breathes on you, they'd all be infected. So it has to, what, climb into your eyeballs or whatever. Like It's not, it's not obvious to me how you pick up the thing. Yeah. So it's not as yeah. scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Once they start suggesting that it's in a drop of blood and that it can... Uh, I think it can it can disconnect itself and reconnect itself. I, I, I'm then questioning if there are multiple things running around, and I'm I'm yeah. still there not are. quite clear. There are right. There definitely there def yeah. there definitely are more than one person is infected at any one time. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. not just one person at any time throughout the film. And also, I do agree with some of the problem being that when you don't know how people are infected and the rules being a bit like uh vague yeah when they say the thing is now it's decided we're not going to be able to get out of here so it's running off into it's going to try and freeze itself again yeah. in the ice and wait for the rescue team the minute they say that i'm like that is so stupid that's a stupid thing to throw in at this point well because they say oh it it wants to freeze so it's it's 
t- it's broken the generator, so there's no heat in here. It's like, but if it wanted to freeze, it would just go for a walk and be outside. And that's the problem, because the odds then are just in- infinitely stacked in its favour, because rather than bother with any of them, at any point it could just piss off into the Arct- Antarctic, yeah. stay close enough to the base so that its body is found, but just freeze out there. I don't yeah. know. I, I, think, I think it may... It means the thing is kind of won already at that point. The film works best when you've got them lined up and they're doing a blood test, when you've got that Agatha Christie uh, kind of scene where you don't know who is the monster. And then I think some of this other stuff just complicates matters in a way that um, I found confusing, and it sounds like you two did as well. Well, not to be um, a Debbie Downer about that scene, which is one of the best scenes in the film when they're, they're in a line and they're doing the blood test. And if, if, if it's in your blood, your blood will like jump out of the Petri dish because it's alive. So they've got Palmer left on the chair and he watches his blood about to be tested. And it turns out he is the thing. He's got the thing in him because his blood jumps out of the dish. At the moment that his blood jumps out of the dish, he turns inside out and he's like, yeah, it's me. But that means for the whole scene leading up to that the alien thing understands english as a spoken language because it's biding its time until the jig is up and then it reveals itself that why does it why does it know english the alien understands everything the the idea is that the alien becomes them and has their memories oh okay and actually the 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 question which we will should try to answer here is when you become the thing do you know you're the thing oh Two points on that. First of all, that's a really... I think you're absolutely right, Vicky, and I don't think it's pointed out enough Mm. in this film. In the book, the short story, um, it does say, uh, ad verbatim, it's a being which can assume the shape, memories, and personality of any living thing it devours, which I don't think is made clear in the film, but it's a thing. And to the point about whether or not you know you're the Mm -hmm. thing when you're infected, it's... Left vague, but some actors played it as though they knew they were the thing. You know the yeah. ginger-haired guy, Norris, when he's offered the gun and he says, uh, I don't think I'm up to it. That's him, the human part of him, sort of like uh, still trying to take control and not want to give the alien the gun. So oh, it's like okay. a battle inside him. That's how he played it, but it's not actually sort of scripted it's a it's a conversation they were having throughout the shoot uh they talk about this on on the commentary um whether you would know or not and i don't think they came up with well they did they don't have an answer to it so um it is quite ambiguous because you know there's there's that thing they drop in about the fact that there's the item of macready's clothing that's found uh which suggests that he's the thing now, yeah, but that's not really returned to. So, is that the thing? Is that the thing literally setting him up? Yeah, right. Um, in which case, I don't know. Is there a more interesting film in here? Because that's just sort of that's dropped in and never returned to, and we never see it being that clever again in the film. So, mm. um, what you mean, like the the idea of like I guess I guess like they will get onto it obviously but like the Walter Goggins character in the hateful eight who just like stirs the pot amongst the others and gets them turns them against each other so like if the thing did that it was that Machiavellian that it was setting people up to think things that might be more interesting but I feel like is that not 
Is that not its plan, though? Because otherwise, why does it just friggin' kill everyone? I feel like yeah. it's, it is literally trying to play them off against each other so they will destroy themselves. Um, but then I don't know what the difference is between doing that and just killing them himself. Like, Well, what's the plan for the species? Like, it, it, uh, I presume it wants to get to a more populous area to be able to assimilate the human race or whatever. So what is its plan on the base? Is it going to kill everyone or not? Does it want to be rescued or not? I don't get it. In an ideal in an ideal world, it wants to stay hidden on the base as one of them and then make it back to land. Mm. But when they realise it's there, they start trying to kill it, so it becomes a survival thing. It wants to infect everyone on the planet eventually. Why it wants to do that, I don't pretend to know, but it does. <laughs> do you think it must be cross that if it had crashed like just a bit north and it would have been in South America and then happy days, like... Livid, absolutely. <laughs> it must be livid. It must be like if I just press right on the joystick yeah. instead of left. No yeah, problem. So when it crash lands... And the, the shape it's in when it crash lands. Do you think that is the thing's actual shape, or the shape of the person, the, the creature that uh, lived in that spaceship that it had assimilated? The second one. Yeah. So it's not its own spaceship. It's it's taken over the alien that flies that spaceship. Yeah, I think so. I mean, go a bit going back to the genius that is Rob Bottine, the special effects guy. He said that like he wanted to make all the models and some of the random stuff you see in those. Um, models when it's transforming it was meant to show that the thing had traveled the entire universe and these were all elements of the various life forms it had encountered and imitated around the universe it's, i think those sort of layers are so cool mm, that is cool <laughs> yeah and and um in terms of what its plan is i think you could kind of uh, allude to the fact that maybe it's um it's come here to just wipe out everyone on this planet uh it's been sent ahead and then the rest of its people will come here to take over the planet. Or it's a virus or a, 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 it's some not a virus, a, but a, a very sort of basic level life form that just it's it's interested in the survival of its species and it doesn't really have a plan beyond infect everything because that increases our chance of survival. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I, I didn't walk onto this podcast expecting to discuss the, the, uh, the motivation of the cellular <laughs> level thing. Why not? But I'm pleased we are. <laughs> well, they certainly found out, figured out a test for figuring out who had the thing quicker than we've figured out one for the coronavirus, haven't they? Are you having a dig at scientists, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> They're doing their best, though. <laughs> I mean, it's... They're a fairly soft target right now, Chris. I'm not sure you want to go for the scientific community. You're trying to save your fucking life. <laughs> I'm just saying the clock is ticking, Vicky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting here uh, with a scalpel and my dog's paw, cutting it open, put some blood into the little dish. I'm going to try that test, see what the dogs do. And then, so Victoria, tell me, at what point... Does this film start to fall apart for you? You said it got to a certain point. Because for me, and the reason I'm asking this now, is because after the blood test, mm. I, I think the blood scene is brilliant. And it's almost after that, things start to get a little bit wishy-washy and there's a bit of running around. That's it for me. What's it for you? Yeah, it's the same. It's a lot of running around. It's a lot of showing off the effects, which are amazing. But there's no logical through line for me at that point about why this creature is doing the things it's doing. Um, and then 
there's a as far as I could tell, there's a flying saucer, which I was just like, what the fuck is that doing there? I'd forgotten that bit entirely. Yeah, me too. That was a surprise to me. I'm like, he was building a spaceship. <laughs> what? Where did he get those parts <laughs> in, from? In twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from old helicopter bits which just no um yeah that's kind of it it was it wasn't i was i was following the narrative and i and i get it but every time the creature showed itself it didn't seem to me to be showing itself to advance the plot it was showing itself so you could go oh that looks cool but that's it not for any narrative reason yeah uh yeah i think you know it taps into that idea doesn't it that you know it's a monster it's like it's the the incredible like effects of the shock value of seeing perhaps something you've never seen done before as a monster in a monster movie i think they were quite chuffed with that that it wasn't a man in a suit so why not show them off and perhaps the audience would be like oh my god i've never seen anything like that everyone come and see this movie you've Mm. never seen a monster like that and that might be enough and it wasn't no no it wasn't Shall we jump to the end now and uh, talk about the various alternate endings that were discussed for uh, this movie and indeed what we think of the actual ending? So just to recap, the ending is McCready and Childs, Kurt Russell and uh, Keith David, uh, who are Vicky. Did you know this? You'll love this. Well, you might not love it because you love Ghostbusters. The original (laughs) person who was going to play the role that Keith David plays of Childs was Ernie Hudson. (laughs) I do. I love uh, my love for, you know, everyone's retreating into nostalgia because we're all locked inside. I've never loved Ghostbusters more than I do at this point. I would watch it every minute of the day (laughs) just to distract myself. (laughs) Uh, There was someone else cast in that role as well, Alex, Um, an actor called Roger Mosley. Uh, and he accepted the role, but he couldn't get out of his contract. He'd also just been offered the role of TC on Magnum. And so Magnum <laughs> oh. prevented him from doing the thing. What's wrong with that show? It prevented Tom Selleck from being Indiana Jones. It prevented that guy <laughs> from being Childs in this. Magnum PI has a lot to bloody answer for in terms of fucking up people's yeah, careers. Fuck Magnum. <laughs> yeah, I never really enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah, me too. It's great. I'm sorry I said that. Sorry I said that, Magnum. I take it back. (laughs) One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, McCready and Childs are left sitting there in the snow. The base has exploded. Um, it's warm at the moment because there's all the fire around, but boy, is it going to get cold soon. They're probably going to die but are they going to die um, as humans or is one of them the thing? Is the thing going to infect the other one? Are they both a thing? Are they both human? Who knows? Who knows? What do you think of that ending? Chris? Uh, I really I really like it. I mean, uh, listening to the various documentaries and commentaries, um, they didn't decide themselves. Uh, into, well, John Carpenter didn't decide. And so, therefore, I think it's totally up to us to decide. Um, he, he says, I still can't decide if Charles is the creature or not. Um, Keith David says it wasn't me, but I, I think he was joking when he's kind of saying that, um, cause he doesn't want it to be his character. Kurt Russell says they didn't know if they knew who they were, but, um, he says, you've seen all these things in the movie. You've heard McCready said, I know I'm me. Well, you either believe him or you don't. And Charles, um, one of my favorite lines in the movie is where I say, where were you Charles? And I think that basically says it all. So I think Kurt Russell is suggesting that he is not the thing, but Childs is the thing. Um, I'm an optimist. So I, when I watched it, I thought it was um, neither of them. I wanted them both to be fine, but I'm being a realist. I think Childs is the thing. Okay. That's, uh, that's a vote for Childs being the thing. Victoria? <laughs> I love the ending. I could, couldn't give a shit which one of them it is, but um, I think the ending, I suddenly understood what I was supposed to have been watching because it's a mystery, like, what happens next. And to me, it's kind of a mystery what this creature was up to. Like, I don't know what this creature was doing. Um, and so tonally, it just pulled it all together. I thought it was really brave to end a film like that, and I liked it for that. And it's just two men just having a chat, preparing to freeze to death, um, trying to find a, a last moment of connection, sort of. Um, so I liked it for that, but I, I was not thinking, ooh, who's the thing? Because I just don't care. Um, what? I just, <laughs> didn't, just didn't care. The uh, whole movie is about whether or not the thing is going to get to the mainland yeah. and kill everyone. So it's important to know whether one of them is the bloody thing. No, I wasn't. Not bothered. Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck humanity. <laughs> just Al- not bothered. Alex, where do, where do you sit? I mean... There's obviously Dean Cundy has said one thing, Keith David said another thing about how they shot it and how they lit it and how what happens in the scene. But where, where do you fall? Uh, it's Childs. Childs is a thing. Um, I do think no one's ever going to say it. No one has said it for definite and no one's ever going to say it for definite. Certainly not John Carpenter. But there are actual clues in the film that point in the direction of Childs. Quite obvious clues when you look for them. Uh, the first is that when Childs turns up at the end and McCready's already sitting outside. Uh, You look at the coat he's wearing and it's a different coat to the last time we saw Childs, which was a dark blue coat. And when he comes up at the end, it's a grey coat, which means that because the thing rips through clothing, when it becomes someone, 
it means he's had to change his coat, which means <laughs> that. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Just what? <laughs> Vicky's laughing okay, at sorry. you right now, Alex. She's, she's literally laughing at you. Yeah, that, that, that's because she doesn't care if he's the thing or not. This is all time wasted to her. She's like, well, yeah, but, you know, I just, it's, I it's a great it's, ending. I think it's, really, it's obvious how much you love this film, and that is really sweet. But listen to how seriously we're having to talk about someone changing their coat in order for the film to make any sense. Okay, or, sure, Vicky. Oh, all right, all right. How about this? How about this? I've got one that involves whiskey. Will you listen to that theory? <laughs> you it's know not I a will. coat, it's, it's whiskey. <laughs> Yeah, go on. I'll, I'll listen. I'll all right. Listen. All right. Kurt Russell gives Childs the whiskey to drink. He goes, oh, you want yeah. some of this? And he would never do that. Childs drinks it. Yeah. And McCready laughs. And he laughs at that point because Childs failed the test. And he realizes the thing. Because Why? if you, because you're not to drink anything or eat anything that might be infected. And Childs would know that. Because of earlier no, when Fuke that says... that doesn't work! Because those are rules that they make up in a panic. They don't say, we now know for a fact that you mustn't eat or drink. They just say, let's be on the safe side, finally, and use gloves and burn things and not eat or drink. But it's not a fact, it's just the, what they've supposed. So that didn't work. It sounds like my plan to make you care about who was the thing or not has worked. Because someone's getting pretty passionate about yeah. him not being the thing now. I thought you were going to say that theory that that that, um, that McCready's put put petrol in the whiskey bottle, and uh, <laughs> and that's why he laughs because because he d- doesn't spot that it's petrol. He just drinks it. But then I don't think that worked because he should have human memories and feelings and therefore he would know that you don't drink petrol well i don't know have you ever drunk j and b scotch it's pretty rough <laughs> carry on thank you uh, and uh, yeah I, I i think you'll appreciate this though vicky if he is the thing if charles is the thing and mccready passed him the whiskey and he drank it and mccready's like so he is the thing because he drank the whiskey and he wouldn't have done that if he was human that's also the last whiskey uh, which would be pretty annoying if you go. I can't. I can't have any of that because the thing's drunk out of oh, it yeah. now. So I would rather die not knowing <laughs> than, than share the last of the booze for, for sure. Dean Cundy uh, has gone on record as saying that he didn't light Child's his eyes properly. So his eyes are black. There's no light in them, uh, whereas there are in in Kurt Russell's eyes. So in his mind, the way he was lighting it, but he didn't really tell anyone he was doing this. Was that that Child's was the thing and also there's a theory that Childs actually doesn't uh, have any breath you can't see his breath in this scene ah, whereas you can cool. see Kurt Russell's breath but I think but that again doesn't really make sense because he's assimilated he's become a human so he would breathe and also he, Keith David has said that that's just because he's sitting closer to the fire than McCready therefore right. so yeah that's just I'm just saying going through them because there is a lot of theories out there um, I think that's a that's a pretty bold move from your DP Dean Cundy, yep. like to not light Charles's eyes properly. Imagine if Carpenter got to the edit and went, "Oh, hang on a second, yeah. we can't see uh, can't see Keith David's eyes." And Dean's like, "Well, funny story to make here. Get out, get out, you're fired, Dean Cundy." Dean Cundy mentioned this about five years ago for the first time, and I, I saw him. He did a, he did a panel that's on the um, a Q and A that's on the Blu-ray about six months later, and he said he genuinely didn't think anyone would give a shit and he said i couldn't believe this sort of effect it had <laughs> on the internet 
Yeah, like me. I don't give a shit. Exactly. Dean. Exactly. Yeah. You, you and Dean Cundy need to hang out. You need to get oh, yeah, together. No. We go way neither back. We go give, way back, yeah. Neither of you give a shit about the end of this brilliant film. <laughs> um, but but yes, I think you were going to say, they, they, they did shoot, uh, or they're apparently shot another ending. It seems they're quite confused about whether they actually shot another ending or not. But there was another ending being talked about, wasn't there? About um, Kurt Russell being rescued and having a blood test to show he's not been affected. The, the- so yeah, that's one ending. Yeah, there's the ending where Kurt Russell is is rescued in spring. Spring comes, he's rescued, and it turns out he's not the thing. Bang, happy ending. There's another one where it's um, in Lancaster's. They didn't shoot this, but in Lancaster, Bill Lancaster's original script, he has both McCready and Childs turn into the thing, and when they're rescued in the spring, they greet their saviors with. Hey, which way to a hot meal? <laughs> which is uh, like the thing wins in that one. Um, and in the book, it was it was another happy ending where uh, McCready survives. Ah, but, in, but the they book, are worried. in the book, didn't some? I think at the end you see birds flying flying off yeah. or something. And the suggestion is that one of the birds might be the thing, which is a cool ending. But no, I think this is one of those ones where they got the right ending. And there wasn't any real argument behind the scenes about about making it a proper happy or unambiguous ending. They went they went with the ambiguous one that I think is what has given it a sort of extra life. This film, I think, you're right. Um, <laughs> I prefer this ending. I really like it. You know, I think ever I think everyone does, but you know, obviously, I think everyone does because people just love spending time working out which was was the which one was the thing. I, I love that about it, don't you, V? I, me <laughs> and Dean Cundy don't don't think so. No, we don't care. <laughs> just don't. Give up. Right. Um, before we do the bits, has anyone got any other wonderful pieces of trivia they'd like to reveal about the majesty that is the thing? No, you got all mine. Um, obviously, I got two just because this was my movie, so I spent a bit of time on it. Uh, so uh, the guy who wrote the original uh, book, uh, uh, John Campbell, I'm going to say, yep, uh, the novella, they found recently a full-length manuscript, an expanded manuscript of this short story that he never published called Frozen Hell, which has a whole um, backstory, a, a different introduction, and Universal and Blumhouse are now making that as a movie. It was just announced in January of this year. That is happening for definite, a Blumhouse Universal version of The Thing, which I think is quite exciting. Frozen Hell, it's like from the author's words. What yeah, do you think about good. that? That sounds exciting. I wonder yeah. if they'll get the guy that directed The Thing prequel to do it because he hasn't made a film since that. Has he not? No, he, That's he, so unfair. He had the roughest time you can imagine uh, making it, so he's pretty much left the film industry. What from people going? How dare you! Or just, no, right, just the a bad studio experience. Yeah, with... a bad experience uh, making no. it. Uh, final bit then before we get onto the bits is the f- fact that um, Chris mentioned just Shirley on as one of his connections. Ennio Morricone did the music, um, and yet it's not in it that much. There's actually a lot of electronic music that John Carpenter himself did. And Ennio Morricone once asked John Carpenter, he said, why did you call me if you wanted to just use your own music? And John Carpenter said, I got married to your music. That's why I called you. <laughs> so um, he just wanted, oh. I guess he wanted, he wanted to go, yeah, I got married to Ennio Morricone and, uh, and he did the soundtrack for a movie that I didn't really use. I used my own stuff, but um, that's quite cool. Good job there was so much movie left over. 
so much music rather left over for our second film. Clever. Clever. Uh, right then. Uh, Chris, do you want to guide us through the bit? Sure. Uh, uh, Vicky, uh, what was mm. your best scene? Um, I like the frozen wrist blood uh, bit. <laughs> That's what I'll call it. But my favourite scene is the final scene uh, because of the mystery. And like I say, I think it's a brave way to end the film. <laughs> wait 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 what, what happens next not who is the... what i don't care about that but it doesn't end it... the two the two are entwined you can't have what happens next depends on which one's the thing no it doesn't they're both just gonna die probably <laughs> yeah massive massive contradiction you know, you could have changed it. You could have changed it since since making your big speech about how shit the ending was. You could have changed your favourite scene. I don't think the ending is shit. You're not listening to me. Let the men talk. Let the men talk. Oh, if you were, if if you were a computer voice making a chess voice, I'd have That's, poured yeah, some yeah. whiskey in you That's by the dream. I think you'd quite like it to pour whiskey in you. Yeah, I would actually. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Alex, favourite scene. Uh, my favourite scene is the one that I, I, I've started working out. My favourite scene is the bit that you remember when you think of a movie, and it was the same again this time. It's Doctor Copper having his arms <laughs> yeah. chewed off when he's using yeah. the defibrillator on Norris. I just remember going, oh, my God, when I saw it the first time. And obviously, I knew it was coming this time, but it's just the way it opens up. I genuinely have – it's like it taps into some weird fear I have of putting pressure on something and just going straight through it and then being teeth. <laughs> Sorry, so, I'm thinking yeah. of something else. It's a niche. <laughs> is, this, is, this, is this a sexual fear you have, Alex? <laughs> oh, there's a really good film about that that you should watch. I will send you a link. Have you seen the film Teeth? <laughs> I haven't seen it. No, oh, that's a good film. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Well, good. I'm glad my fear got laughed at. Go on. Who's next? Uh, I'm going to pick my favourite scene. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm the same <laughs> as you, Alex, the defibrillator scene. We, I can't believe we didn't sort of go into it in detail in the main because it is jaw-dropping. And as you say, it's kind of the thing you most remember. Um it's it's fun watching how they did it. They got an actor with no arms and built prosthetics on him and watching the behind the scenes is just insane. And I love I love a scene where a character says what the audience is thinking. And obviously you've got a character here saying, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So <laughs> I think that, I, I just think that's a great moment. And it's really fun. That's, that's, that's not the defibrillator scene. Well, it's, it's all part of that. It, it, it's the same sequence. Oh, though, yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same yeah, yeah, sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's... The, and, and I like yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. sequence also because that's what Kurt Russell picks up the flamethrower and on the commentary when he's blasting that flamethrower, on the commentary he just goes, Blastola! <laughs> Which I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> he's, really, he's really enjoying watching himself do that. So, yeah, that whole sequence is just uh, one of the great horror sequences, I think. Uh, Vicky, MVW, most valuable whatever. So I'm not going to say Kurt Russell because for me, I prefer an older Kurt Russell. I like it when he matures into the um, his attitude. So I'm going to say Keith David. Um, if he, if I was freezing to death in the snow, whether or not I was an alien thing, who cares? And he slid down next to me. I actually might be tempted to share my booze with him because of his dulcet tones, his general true star charisma. Well, anyone who knows Vicky knows that is a hella compliment. You'd share your whiskey with him. Bloody hell. I said I think, yeah, I think, oh, I definitely think about it. I thought you yeah. said you'd share your boobs with him. 
Right. Okay, boost. Oh Jesus! I got it. Yeah, I got I'm it not. Now. I'm not. Um, I'm not nursing anymore. There's no nutrition for him there. So that's uh, that's not a survival strategy. Good choice. Well, I think we've worked out. I think we've worked out what the ending of the thing should have been <laughs> after all these years. Keith David being nursed by a very blonde woman. If there'd been some women in it, that could have been a possibility. No, it wouldn't. That doesn't work. It's weird. It's too weird. Moving on. Alex? <laughs> oh, please. Can we? <laughs> uh, it's Rob Bottin. Uh His special effects, I, I think, I, I, genuinely, it's the fact that they're real, the fact that they're genuine, like, actual physical effects, not CGI. Um, but that's not enough on its own. There's some great physical effects. It's the fact that I've never seen anything quite like it ever again or before i think it's totally unique and the amount of time that he spent on it and the fact that he literally had to be hospitalized afterwards with a bleeding ulcer and exhaustion because he lived uh on the set making these happen for seven days a week uh all day um and the fact that when you watch him talk about it he cared so much and the fact that they're brilliant uh he's going to be my mvw for this uh, a good one. Uh, for me, Jed comes close. Uh, the dog, um, who's half wolf in real life. Uh, I knew it. I knew it was a wolf. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They, the actors were saying that he didn't. He doesn't bark. He doesn't growl. And when he gives you the stare, you just got to be very careful because oh god, he was not... bite your face off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's um, that's the guy who plays Clark. Says actually says you know they were told by the handler to be very careful with him, but it works on screen. I've never seen a dog when it looks like past the camera in one of the shots. It walks into a room and just looks, and you're like, that's one scary ass dog. Mm. It's like you know if you could basically. If you if you if you instill the idea that a dog understands the concept of acting, it nails the idea of being an alien <laughs> trapped in a dog's body. It really does. I agree. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually not going to go for Jed. Um, I'm going to copy you, Alex. Uh, I had Rob Botin uh, written down as well uh, for the reasons you said. Um, I also worried uh, this film. Uh, in many ways broke John Carpenter a little bit. And I think it broke Rob Bottin a little bit. He's kind of funny on the, on the documentaries, but um, he's barely worked in 20 years. He's disappeared from the, um, the film industry, the effects industry pretty much. And I wonder if this was the beginning of the end for him because it did affect him so badly, affect his health. That I wonder if this started him thinking, is this actually worth it? So, uh, but yeah, his work is is what really makes this movie. And finally, uh, Vicky, what would you change, if anything? Uh, I keep it quick, but uh, in that Antarctic observation station, let's build a bar. Let's just do that because then it's perfect. It's got a pool slash snooker table. It's got a computer that knows literally everything. And if you just had a bar, it would be perfect. <laughs> I mean, I wrote all that down, like, because I thought you'd be over the moon. It's like the Rosemary Branch where we used to drink at college. <laughs> it literally has everything that place had: a pool table, a pinball machine. It's not even decorated the same. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. like the pub we used to drink in. You don't need a bar. Go to the fridge. Why do you need a bar? <laughs> I just like I like a homemade bar as well. Like you know when someone builds their own bar in their basement. I love that. <laughs> so I just would have liked to see what they'd done. Oh, like those person dens that people have in their basements. Yeah. Oh, well done, person den. Good for you. <laughs> well done, Alex. Turns out I can be trained. <laughs> Alex, uh, what would you change if anything? <laughs> 
So I've never said person den before. I like it. <laughs> um, I would make it longer. Um, I'd reinstate some of the deleted scenes that you can find on YouTube. I'd give them more characterization to the, I'd give the characters more characterization. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, John Carpenter said he was worried that he had too many scenes of men standing around in rooms talking. And, you know, I'm like, it does not bother Tarantino. So you should have had more in it. I'd like that, please. Either that or make it the success that it deserved to be at the cinema. Like you just touched on this, Chris, but mm. Carpenter said, I take every failure hard. And the one I took hardest was the thing. It's the fact that he says my career would have been different yeah. if it had been a big hit. And he's such a talented filmmaker. You, that sentence makes you think, what might we have had in cinema if only people had turned out for this movie? So a sad note, but that's why I'd change. Yeah, if, uh, a, a thousand percent, because because um, you know I haven't interviewed John Carpenter myself. He's quite a difficult guy to to get hold of. But I've got friends that have interviewed him, and he he's still angry and upset about this film. It brings him no pleasure that people have reevaluated it and like it now, because he said he sort of says, "Where were you at the time?" You know, and he's right because he should have had a blockbuster career, and I would love to have seen what he would have done with a hundred million dollars. But uh, we never got to see that. He lost his next job on Firestarter and um, he still made good films, but I wish he could have made the kind of films on a scale that he wanted to. Uh, but but my change actually yeah. is um, while I love the very end, uh, the stuff before it where they use the dynamite essentially to, to blow up the thing, it just doesn't, it's not enough for me. Uh, they're a group of scientists and I wish there had been a more scientific solution uh, to what they were doing to, to quote, the Martian, I feel like they should have scienced the shit out of it at the end <laughs> rather than it being, you know, the the blowing up of the monster that you've seen in every science fiction film. So I think they just could have done something more interesting in the penultimate sequence. Yeah, yeah and maybe given Kurt Russell a, a, a better smile, you son of a bitch style line than, um, well, fuck you too. <laughs> Which is I quite like line. that. I like to. <laughs> Uh, all right then uh that is the thing chris are you gonna quiz the crap out of us now all right uh this is the grateful eight quiz because <laughs> you'll both be so grateful if you win um and i've split it into two rounds of four questions so uh for the first round um i'm you're gonna have to tell me which actor appears eighth in the end credits of the following films so I'm going to give you multiple choice. Don't worry, it's not going to be that hard. But for example, in The Hateful Eight, it's Bruce Dern is the eighth credited person. So you've got to weigh up how famous they are, how big their role is, and how good their agent was at getting them credit. <laughs> Great. So none of these are in order of appearance in the film? No, this is in, 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 in the end credits, and it's not to do with appearance. It's to do with those okay. three, three things that I said. So first one up, who is the eighth build actor in The Expendables 2? Is it is it is it Chuck Norris, John Claude Van Damme, Bruce Willis, or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Chuck uh, Norris. Yeah, it has to be Chuck Norris. No, well, I'll go for something different then. I'm going for. No way. All right, fine. I'll go for Chuck Norris as well then. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, is it? oh, I knew I should have bloody changed it. Who is the eighth build actor in Avengers Endgame? Is it Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Paul Rudd, or Benedict Cumberbatch? But uh, but but Don Don Cheadle. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. 
You're both wrong. It's Paul Rudd. This is. Uh, we're off to. A, we're off to a bad start. Uh, who is the eighth build actor in Saving Private Ryan? Is it Jeremy Davis, Matt Damon, Ted Danson, or Paul Giamatti? Paul Giamatti. Ted Danson. You're both wrong. It's Jeremy Davis. This is going so <laughs> terribly wrong. <laughs> the final one of this round. Who is the eighth build actor in the Grand Budapest Hotel? Is it Jude, <laughs> is it Jude Law, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, or Saoirse Ronan? Saoirse Ronan. Jude Law. We have Jude a Law. on the board. And it goes to <laughs> Alex. Yes! Yeah! Oh, yeah! <laughs> Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Okay, we are moving on to the second round. Four more questions to end the quiz. Oh, lovely. Uh, so the, here we are. I'm asking, what was the eighth film in the following franchises? So okay. what was the eighth Carry On film? Was it Carry On Jack, Carry On Spying, Carry On Cleo, or Carry On Cowboy? Oh, God, Cleo. Carry Oh, I was going to say that. It's the only one I've heard of. I'll go with Carry On Spying. It's Carry On Jack, one that nobody remembers. Never Uh, heard of it. (laughs) What was the eighth Star Trek movie? Was it (gasps) Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, or Nemesis? Oh, I think it was... mm... Generations. I'm going generations. No. I'm going gen- what eighth did you say, Chris? Yeah. You are both wrong. It was first contact. Wait! Oh no! Damn it! <laughs> now, what was the eighth James Bond movie? And I'm not including that dodgy Casino Royale, so it's the eighth film made and released by Cubby Broccoli and Eon. It was it uh, You Only Live Twice on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, or Live and Let Die? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Stop cheating. Yeah, I know. Come on, Alex, I'm, quick. Let me let die. Yeah, he's definitely cheating. Uh, Vicky? I'm literally not. Maybe I just know it. Is he right? What did you go for, Vicky? I said diamonds are forever. It's live and let die. Oh, and finally... Oh, what a fucking downer that was. What oh, was sorry, the, is it still going on? What was the eighth Friday the 13th <laughs> movie? Was it A New Beginning, Jason Lives, The New Blood, or Jason Takes Manhattan? <laughs> no, it's not. That's number five. What? What were the others? A new beginning. Jason lives. The new blood. I'm going to go with the new blood. Vicky's right. It's Jason takes Manhattan. Fuck you, dude! I that was, oh my god! I thought that was number five. Damn it! So if Alex hadn't cheated on Live and Let Die, it would have been a draw. But well done, Alex. <laughs> you have won. Jeez. There's a lot of mis- there's a lot of mistrust and paranoia developing on this episode, <laughs> much like the film we're going to be talking about on our next pod, part two of episode thirty nine, coming to you on Monday, will be the hateful. Eight. I hope you can join us for that. The Hateful Eight is going to be going up against the one we just talked about, The Thing. Thank you for listening so far. Once again, as I've said, this is a brand new format where we're dividing the movies up between shows. So if you like it um, or you want to talk about it, we are here to discuss going forward. Hit us up at ClashPod on Twitter uh, or you can email us show at ClashPod.com. Next show will be The Hateful Eight. But if you're interested to know what movies we're going to be doing after that, which two films will be going head-to-head next, 
you can find out at ClashPod on Twitter, or you can just wait until the end of part two of this episode where we'll announce them then. We'll see you on Monday then. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.